0: Last Sunday night, we looked at how God's people ought to give. Tonight, we're going to talk about how God's people ought to live. (coughs) Excuse me. Got one verse tonight. It's verse 13. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. I'm going to read it to begin with out of the King James Version. It says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Now, I love the King James Bible. I use it a lot. I grew up with it. Uh, for the first 15 years of the ministry, that's what I studied all the time. And I preached out of it. Uh, I still love it. But at times, as a pastor, I think it's necessary uh, for me to use different translations. And you know that. I use the NASB, the King James, and the ESV predominantly. Tonight, I'm going to use a different translation, one that I have used maybe once or twice since I've been your pastor, and that's the NIV version. Now, a lot of folks get upset when a pastor uses the NIV version, but uh, my job as a pastor is to make God's Word clear, so you can understand it. So let's go back to that King James version again. Watch you stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. That phrase hadn't been used in three hundred, about three hundred and thirty-five years. So it's archaic language. I'm not against it again. And don't think I'm going to start preaching out of the ESV or the. Excuse me, sorry, Damon. The NIV all the time. And I'm not going to the message. You're okay. All right. But I do want to use the NIV tonight. Listen to the verse out of the NIV. First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. Father, tonight as we look at this verse, I pray it becomes very clear to us how we are to live as your children, how we are to stand firm, stand fast, be courageous, and be strong. I pray that we would understand that, that we have been called, and we have been, uh, God, not only called, but empowered to do just that. We praise you for who you are. For your grace, most of all for Christ, in His name. Amen. Now, folks, I want to read that again to you, but here's what I want you to do. Let's play a little game, okay? How many of you remember how to play pretend when you was a kid? Okay, let's pretend. Let's pretend that you are a soldier, you're on the front lines of war, on the front lines of the battle, and a platoon sergeant's fixing to give you instructions, and this is what he says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. You say that sounds like military language. Well, there's a good reason for that. That is exactly what Paul's using is military language. Now, Paul isn't telling the Corinthian Christians how to be Christians. What he's doing is reminding them how to live the Christian life. And again, if it sounds like military language, it's because it is military language, and it actually fits very well. Scripture tells us, makes it clear, that every Christian has, by the grace of God, been made both a saint and a soldier. How many times have you heard me say this, especially over the past month and a half, when God put salvation in your heart, He also put a sword in your hand. You're a soldier, Christian. You're in God's army. How many of you remember Bible school, the song, we used to sing, "I'm in the Lord's army." I had, to, yeah, thank you, Susan. I had to have Anna, Hannah, do that for me this afternoon. I said, "I think this is how it goes, isn't it, baby?" She said, "Dad," and so she sang it and done the hand motions for me. But you remember that song? Uh, let's see. Uh, I, I may never uh, march in the infantry, uh, ride in the cavalry, shoot in the artillery, or fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Now, believe it or not, that song has a lot of theological truth to it. It's a very true song, folks. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, he said, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Every Christian is a soldier at war. I've been preaching about this again for about a month and a half. And I'm not talking about the Iraqi war or what's going on over in the Middle East. Or I'm not talking about the war between the Democrat and the Republican Party. I'm talking about a war that's invisible, yet it's very, very real. And I want you to listen close to me, Christian. Most of your problems, most of your hurts, most of your sins, your confusion, your frustrations, in life, they have deep roots in this war. Did you hear what I I told you? All this that you're facing is rooted in this warfare. The war I'm talking about is, of course, the, the cosmic clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. Between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Christian, you need to understand this, you're not just in the middle of this war. No, no. Your heart, your mind, your life is the actual battleground on which this war is fought and takes place. So the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, he gives these uh, Corinthian Christians their marching orders. And what he's doing, he's giving the Spirit-filled commands, to Christian soldiers to help them live effective Christian lives in a very difficult world. So, let's talk about that a minute tonight. How can we live an effective Christian life in a very difficult world? I don't think anybody would argue the fact that we are living as Christians in a very difficult world tonight. Number one, he says if you're going to live the effective Christian life in a difficult world, look at our verse again. Number one, he says you need to stay alert. Be watchful or be on your guard. There's several translations, but it all means the same thing. In the original Greek language, there's only one word there. And you can't translate in English. The best English word we can come up with is watch. Capital letters with an exclamation point. Be on your guard. Be on alert. Watch. Again, that's a military word. It means to be vigilant and to be alert. Uh, Think back in ancient times. They would have watchmen on the walls of a city. And these watchmen, their job would be to watch for any danger that would be coming toward the city. And their job was so important, if these watchmen got caught sleeping on post, they were instantly put to death because the consequences could be catastrophic. Let me ask you this. How much damage can be done in your life in one unguarded moment? How much damage? Think about this, folks. Your life, your walk with God, your family, your marriage, they can be totally derailed, totally unhinged and broken in an instant if you're not on watch. So listen, Christian, we watch and we're on guard and we stay on the alert not because we're living in fear. No, no. We stay on alert. We stay on guard. We watch because we're guarding what's precious to us. Paul says, be on your guard and watch out. Watch out for what? Well, there's several things we need to watch out for. First of all, we need to watch out for Satan. Doesn't Peter say in 1 Peter 5 eight? he said, Be sober, be vigilant. That's another way of saying, be on the alert. Be on your guard, because your adversary, your great enemy, the devil, he prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I've had people say over the years to me, uh, something along this lines, they say, You know what, Jim? You're, you're a, a very intelligent guy for a redneck, and are you actually telling me that you believe in the literal devil? Well, folks, listen to me. The most dangerous war is the one that you don't realize you're in. And the most dangerous enemy is the one that you don't believe exists. Absolutely, I believe in the literal devil because the Bible tells me so. But the Bible says that Satan is a mastermind. He camouflages himself. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse he, 14, that he masquerades... Uh, He clothes himself as an angel of light. So we need to understand in our day and time, especially today, Satan, he doesn't look scary. I'd say he probably looks sexy. I mean, in our day and time, he doesn't approach like an enemy. Rather, he's going to approach you as a friend. And Christian, listen, just because you don't recognize him does not mean he's not real. How many of you remember back in the early 80s? I know some of y'all may have strained to remember that far. Some of y'all could remember. If you could remember, you could remember back then.
1: In the early 80s, there was a hit
0: song. It was played on country stations and I think in pop stations too. Uh, the singer's name was Terry Gibbs. And it was number one for, for quite a while. I think she was kind of a, one of those one-hit wonders. But uh, the song was called Somebody's Knocking. Remember that song? Somebody's knocking, should I let him in? Lord, it's the devil, would you look at him? I've heard about him but I never dreamed he'd have blue eyes and blue jeans. Listen to me, friend, that's closer to the truth than most people realize. Let me remind you, Satan does not give up on you when you become a Christian. You know what he does? See, when you become a Christian, what you do, you simply quit being his teammate and you start being his target. Satan doesn't give up on you, he just changes strategy. You remember uh, Simon Peter at the Lord's supper what did Jesus say to him he said Simon Simon Satan desires you he has asked he's requested for you he wants to sift you like wheat Satan hadn't given up on Peter rather he focused on Peter from that I want to tell you this Christian listen real close Satan is at work in your life somewhere right now so you need to be on your guard I'm going to tell you, church family, Satan is at work right now somewhere in this church. So we need to watch out. We need to be on our guard. Number The second thing we, we need to watch out for, watch out for Satan. Be on our guard against him. But we also need to watch out for temptation. Be on our guard against temptation. Understand something, Satan... He can't make you do any sin whatsoever, but he will try to lure you into every sin available. And think about this every sin that has ever sprouted first started as a seed of temptation, it always began small. What did Jesus tell the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Watch and pray, therefore, that you may not fall into temptation. Now, let me ask you how did we watch for Satan and temptation? Well, Jesus told the disciples, Watch and pray, therefore. It's through prayer. And when I say prayer, what I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about a long laundry list of all the things you want from God. I'm talking about worshipful, grateful communion with Him. You see, true prayer, folks, isn't isn't about you opening God's eyes to your needs. True prayer, when you get alone heart to heart with God, true prayer is about God opening your eyes to the spiritual battle that's around you and awakening you to the fact that you are desperate in need for Him. Prayer is, when it's true prayer, it gives God, what He does is bless you. He gives you His eyes to see, His wisdom to understand, His mind to act, and His peace to stay calm when the storm rages. Something else we need to be on guard and watch out for, and especially I've noticed in the past 15 years, is apathy. Apathy. Webster's Dictionary defines it as the absence of passion, interest, or concern. Spiritual apathy is the lack of passion, interest, or concern about the things that God tells us we should have passion, interest, and concern for. You remember what Jesus said to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, 2 and 3? He said, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. He said, but if you don't wake up, I'm going to come as a thief, and you're not going to know the time that I'm going to arrive. Now the truth is, many Christians are so spiritually sedated, so blinded today by spiritual apathy, they don't even realize they're just months or weeks or days or moments away from a catastrophic consequence due to their apathy. Now Paul's talking to the... Christians in Corinth. And, and by the way, we're going to study more about the church in Corinth when I get back off vacation. We're going to study deeper on this in 1 Corinthians. But in, in the church at Corinth, Paul's talking to the Corinthians and he's telling them, you need to be alert because you're not alert. See, the enemy, and we're going to find this out when we study through 1 Corinthians, the enemy was destroying their marriages, their homes, the church, their faith, and their lives. And Paul's saying, you need to wake up. You need to be on guard against the enemy. So, Paul says uh, to live an effective Christian life in a difficult world, number one, stay alert, be watchful. Number two, you need to stand firm. Look at the next line. Look what Paul says next in verse 13. Paul tells the Corinthians, stand firm in the faith. That word firm means to be deeply, resolutely, securely entrenched. I guess for a redneck terminology, we'd say to be dug in like an Oklahoma tick. That's what Paul's saying. Entrenched. Again, this is another military word. Paul's saying, not haphazardly, not half-heartedly, not nonchalantly, but you be firm, you be rooted, you be steadfast. In what? In the faith. Now I want you to look at it. Notice, Paul doesn't say that we are to be uh, steadfast. We're to stand firm in your faith, or in our faith. Uh, I think we'll all agree, we know that our faith at times is up and down and all around. Amen? Sometimes our faith strong. Sometimes it's weak. Paul doesn't say stand firm in your faith. He says in the faith. Well, what's the faith? Well, he's talking about the entire body of doctrine contained in God's Word. He's talking about standing firmly in the Gospel, in the Christian faith, in the Word of God. And you know why Paul says stand firm in the faith? He's talking again about the Word of God because the Word of God is as strong today as it was thousands of years ago. It has not changed. It will not change. In essence, what Paul is saying is, know this book, believe this book, base your life on this book, and defend this book. Stand firm in the faith. You remember Jude, the book of Jude. We did a Bible study on Jude. I was going to say a few months ago. Actually, I think it was a couple years ago. Uh, but we done a Bible study in the book of Jude. And in Jude, verse 3, Jude basically, he says, I felt compelled to write to you, to urge you, to earnestly contend for the faith which was once and for all delivered up or entrusted to the saints. Jude says, contend for the faith, and then he goes on and tells the Christians why we should contend for the faith. Because people are coming in who will corrupt the faith. He says they're going to preach a new gospel, really not a new gospel. Uh, Like Paul said, it's another gospel, there's no such thing as a new gospel. And we're to contend for the faith so that people will know what the true gospel is. What their true Christian faith is. C.S. Lewis said this, he said good philosophy needs to exist because bad philosophy already exists. You know what, folks, think about this, there's a lot of bad thinking today about Jesus In our world, there's a lot of bad thinking about the Bible, about the church. Child of God, we are to be people who know the truth of this book, stand firm on it, and contend for it. Paul told Timothy 2, Timothy 1, 13-14, and I'm going to read this out of one of the modern translations. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard that good deposit that has been entrusted unto you. Christian, we are to contend for the Christian faith. We're to guard the Christian faith. But listen to me. Now, I'm just going to be honest. Well, you cannot guard what you do not know. You cannot contend for that which you do not know. So we're to be constantly learning and growing in God's Word and in accuracy and understanding the Christian faith. You see, the more you grow the more firmly you're going to stand. Satan, and think about this, Satan always attacks your faith in God by attacking, first of all, what you believe about God's Word. I'll prove it to you. Satan's first attack is always the truthfulness of God's Word because if he can get you to doubt God's Word, he'll get you to doubt God's heart. And if he can get you to doubt God's truthfulness, he'll get you to doubt God's reliability. All the way back, Genesis chapter 3. In the Garden of Eden, what was Satan's first question to Eve? He said, now did God really say not to eat of every tree of the garden? Now what did he do? He thought to question God. From the very beginning, he began by putting doubts in people's minds as to the truthfulness of the Word of God. You see, you cannot trust God if you don't believe God. And if you cannot trust God and believe God, you can't love God. And if you can't trust God, believe God, and love God, friend, you can't be saved by God. That's why today, everywhere you look, there's an attack on the validity and the truthfulness of Scripture. And I I challenge you this. When you're reading the Bible, studying the Bible, if you'll listen real, real close, you can almost hear Satan whispering in your spiritual ear some familiar words. Now, God didn't really say that. that. Do you think God really means this? Have you ever been studying God's Word and that thought come to your head? Did God really say this? Well, it's right there in black and white. Do you not think God said it? (laughs) And listen, here's the thing about it. You have a choice. You can stand firm in the faith or you can waver, wander, and walk away on your own. Paul says stand firm in the faith. If God said it, you better stand on it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is inspired. It's all God breathed and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God or the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to listen to me close. While most Christians, I know they revere the Bible, most Christians don't read the Bible. I'm going to cut to the quick right here. Bible illiteracy among Christians is so extraordinarily high today, it is embarrassing. Embarrassing. You cannot stand firm in the faith revealed in God's work without a comprehensive study and understanding God's word. The truth is, if you say you believe the Bible, yet you rarely read it, you're fooling yourself. And even worse than that, friend, not only are you fooling yourself, you're exposing yourself to the lies and to the deceptions of the enemy. If you're going to stand on it, then you better get into it. Or you won't know how to stand on it. Paul says to live an effective Christian life in this difficult world. The third thing he says, show maturity. Notice what he says. He says, be courageous. Be courageous. Now the ESV, I like the way the ESV translates this part. The more literal approach, it translates this: "Act like men. Act like men." Now let me explain. The word that's used there in the Greek is andrazomai, and that word is 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 neutered, or, or let me put it this way: it literally means to be manly, but it's not just directed to men, but it's directed to women as well. To be manly, be courageous. I know it's politically incorrect, praise God. His word is politically incorrect. I am so thankful for that. Now, why would Paul tell every believer everywhere of all times to be manly or to act like men? Well, again, let's understand this. Paul's not referring to gender, he's referring to maturity. And you have to understand the writing and the culture of the day that this was written in. He says, act like men because men are to be mature. Right, guys? If we're men, we're supposed to be mature. The contrast here is not between manhood and womanhood. It's between childhood and manhood. And what Paul is telling the Corinthian Christians, and you're going to understand and after we study this in the next month and a half, why Paul is saying this, basically what he's saying is stop acting like children. The Corinthian Christians were doing. They were acting like kids. They were immature Christians acting like little children. Paul says 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, he said, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Paul says, you were acting like little kids. That's why I couldn't treat you like adults. Now, let me explain something to you. There are three main ways immature Christians act like children. Number one, immature Christians, they're self-centered, like little kids are. Now, I know some of you are saying, no, my kids were never self-centered. Yeah, I don't even start with that. All kids are self-centered. They don't know any other way. It's human nature to be self-centered. And when those of the rugrats are born, they're self-centered. You say, I just don't believe that. Well, then apparently you've never had kids. Because when they begin to scream at 2 o'clock in the morning for no apparent reason other than self-centeredness, they want their needs met. They don't care about anybody else. You say, that's just a kid. No, that's sinful nature. That's being self-centered. Okay, so immature Christians, like a kid, they're self-centered. Number two, they're short-sighted. Number three, they're spiritually unstable. So let let me put it to you straight. They think mostly about themselves. They don't think about the big picture. And they waver back and forth between what they know and what they believe. That's an immature Christian. Paul says stop acting like children act like men and what he says by saying act like men he says be courageously mature be mature Christians Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians 13 11, he said when I was a child I spoke as a child I acted as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things now you know what it looks like to act like a man and be courageously mature it means that you're willing to and I'm talking to everybody not just men but men and women but I'm going to use men as illustration because that's what Paul uses to be uh, courageously mature, it means you're willing to go first and to go last. Let me explain it this way. Men, isn't that the way we were taught growing up? I know if you're my age and, and older, you definitely were taught that. I was taught that growing up. When there's a present danger, what happens? Men go first. When there's a scary sound in our house, it sounds like an intruder. I don't say, Marsha, you need to go, up and go check on that. And if somebody's there, come back and tell me. Actually, it wouldn't do a bit of good. You could blow the house up. She's asleep. It don't matter. She's, she don't hear nothing. <clears throat> no, I don't tell Marcia to go out and do it. Guys, we're supposed to go first, right? Uh, there's about four of y'all said right. Nah, now. We're supposed to go first. Now, let's be honest about it. We may be scared to death. I mean, let's just be honest. I don't particularly want to get shot or shanked in my jammies. We may be scared, but we're not going to let our wives know, are we? No, we're the man. We're going to go out and take care of it. I mean, if I stayed there in bed and said, Marsha, go out and check on that, she comes back in and says, it's okay, I handled it. Well, how do you think I'd feel about that? No, I'm the man. That's my job. Courageously mature. And let me put it this way. I am to be the bulletproof vest for my family. I'm to take the hit and take the shot. That's what it means being courageously mature. Now listen to me, Christian. That's how all of us are to stand firm and be courageously mature with one another in the church. That's what Paul is trying to get the Corinthian Christians to understand. He says, you need to be willing to lay your life down for Christ and for one another. Be courageously mature. The second thing, not only do men go first, but men go last. I mean, when there's something to be enjoyed, we're willing to go last and let others go first. We're willing to go get in the back of the line. We're willing to elevate others and to put ourselves down. We're willing to think of others before we think of ourselves. To act like men means for all of us to be courageously mature, willing to go first when there's risk of danger in the spiritual war, and willing to go last for the benefit of others. In other words, Paul says you be spiritually, uh, courageously mature, What that means is, you think of others before yourself. Look at the next thing. Paul says, to live an effective Christian life in a difficult world, we need to, number one, be watchful, stay alert. Number two, stand firm in the faith. Number three, show maturity, be courageous. And then number four, summon strength. Paul says, be strong. Be strong. Paul's not talking about physical strength. Of course, he's talking about spiritual strength. Look at the verb that's, well, you can't really see it here, but in the Greek language... The verb tense is in the present passive imperative. So, what does that mean, preacher? That means it must be constant, something that is constantly done to you, not by you. You catch that? It's to be done to you, not by you. Let me explain. You can't spiritually strengthen yourself. I can't spiritually strengthen myself. Strength for difficult days doesn't come from within, it comes from without. You can't strengthen yourself for life battles. Uh, You have to be strengthened by the Lord. That's why it's written the way it is. The present passive imperative. It's done to us on a constant basis. By whom? By God. That's where our strength comes from. We know this. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Here's another verse. Psalm 27.14 Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Another verse we've heard several times over the past month. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The only way to live an effective Christian life that honors God and serves the world is with the strength that comes from heaven. You say, so how do I get that strength from heaven? Well, the main two ways is you get into God's book to hear from God and you get on your knees so you can talk to God. He speaks to you and you speak to Him. Private daily communion with God. God fills you up and He sends you out. And then you have that weekly communion, corporate worship uh, of God. He fills you up and He sends you out. Now think about this, folks. How sad is it when Christian soldier after Christian soldier go out every day, their spiritual war, day in, day out, they get defeated because they refuse to get strength that they need from the Lord on a daily basis whether you know it or not you 've got three main battle fronts, Christian, that you face every day all day, and you know what these battle fronts are. You heard me preach on them time and time again, but i 'm going to hit them again. You see, repetition is a good thing. we need to be reminded of it. The first battlefront we faced every day is the battlefront against the world. What does James say in James four four? Ye adulterous people, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, James is not referring to the created world. He's talking about this world's system, this world's values. You see, what the world values and what God values is in constant conflict with one another, Christian. You can't love them both. You can't serve them both. Jesus made that clear. So if you're a Christian, you're constantly having to fight off the world and to keep the world from pushing its agenda and its values on you. And I'm telling you today more than ever, it is a constant battle and a constant fight. The second battlefront that we face is against the flesh. Now again, we're not talking about the skin on the outside but the sinful nature on the inside. I mean, even after you're redeemed and born again, you still have the remains of that flesh, and that flesh wants to please self. So your new nature that you have in Christ, it constantly battles that old nature of self that wants to please self. And there's always a struggle going on. And you know who wins? The nature you feed the most. Let me read you what Peter says, first Peter two eleven. He says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against your soul. Now, let's be honest right now. Do you spend more time having your flesh fed by the things of the world or having your spirit fed by the things of God? I'm going to tell you, there's a direct correlation to your effectiveness in the Christian life by what you feed the most. Third battlefront is what I've talked about a little bit ago it's against the devil. Was, remember what Paul says? Ephesians 6.13 He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, he says, stand firm. Or stand therefore. Let me ask you something. Whose armor is it? You say it's my armor. No. Whose armor is it? It's God's armor. Now we went over this armor that God provides for us a few weeks back. Listen to me. It's God's armor. That means it's God's strength that He willingly, generously provides to you if you'll but take it and rely on it. I'm going to wrap it up here. How many of you remember back in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain? A great, probably one of the greatest moments of athletic history happened in that Olympic. There was a young man from Britain, a sprinter who I think he held the record in the 400-meter run and his name was Derek Redmond. now during that 400 meter run and of course he was expected to win about halfway through that's about the 250 meter mark he tore a hamstring now, I don't know if anybody's ever pulled tore a tore hamstring but it is miserable he's running full tilt tears that hamstring he hits the track well 65,000 people in that stadium all gasp at once what is going on and they realize he's injured he's wounded He gets up, struggles to get up, and begins limping the best he can down the track. People wonder, well, what's he going to do? And about that moment, his dad come out of the stands. His dad broke through security, and he ran out onto the track. And he put his arm around his son, and he lifted him up to him. And he began to walk with his son. And he thought that his son wanted to get off the track. They started toward the side of the track, and his son shook his head and pointed to the finish line. And so dad, lifting that boy off that leg, dad and that son leapt down to the finish line. And that dad, that father, helped his wounded son make it across the finish line. I mean, if you had not seen it, you need to pull it up. Derek Redmond. it's probably on YouTube. Christian... This Christian life is a fight that we cannot win on our own. It's a race that we cannot run and win on our own. We have to have the strength that only our Heavenly Father can provide. We cannot muster it on ourselves. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, there's times we're going to be wounded. We're going to be injured. Yes, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But you know what? Our Heavenly Father promises to be with us. And he promises, I'll carry you across the finish line. You don't need to worry about crossing the finish line. You need to just stay in the race. I'll make sure you cross the finish line. Why be alert? Because we always have an enemy, like a roaring lion, ready to pounce. Why stand firm in the faith? Because, friend, nothing worthwhile is accomplished without committed, being committed to truth. Number three, why be courageously mature? Because acting childish, that ain't going to cut it when the battle begins to rage. Number four, why be strong? Because weakness precedes surrender. And I want you to listen real close. For the child of God quitting, it ain't an option. That's why Paul says that Christians should live. God's Word tells us that that the way we should live, we ought to be on our guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have that verse marked or highlighted in your Bible, you may want to do so. That's a verse you're probably going to want to come back to in the days, weeks, months, years if God allows it to come. Because the battle is going to rage more and more. It's going to become more intensified before Jesus comes back. And that's a verse that you ought to have memorized. You ought to have marked in your Bible. How should the child of God live? Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray this verse would take root within our heart. That we would understand that You have specifically called us to be watchful, to be on our guard. You've called us to continually stand firm and to to contend for the faith. To stand on Your Word and contend for Your Word. You've told us that we need to be mature. We need to be courageous. And we need to be strong. Not our strength, but Your strength. Father, I pray that Tonight, this hit at home with many of us. Battles are raging in our lives and raging all around us, but we need to understand our job is not to win. Our job is to stay in the fight and and Father you assures us you assure us that you 're going to win. I pray for those here tonight, maybe they're facing a, a struggle and a war within their life and Father, I may not know what it is. Others around them may not, but You know what it is. I pray they'd get the encouragement that they need. They would get, the, uh, God, the direction that they need from Your Word. And they'd be willing to stand firm, to be courageous, to be strong. God, I praise You that no matter how difficult the battle may be, we are not alone. We have each other Because, first of all, we have Jesus Christ. And Father, You've assured us You'll never leave us, nor forsake us. I thank You for Your love, for Your grace. God, I thank You that uh, even though I am so unworthy of it, even though I do not deserve the love and the grace, the blessings that You bestowed on me, because of who You are, because... Father of nothing more, nothing less than your grace. You have blessed me, and I praise you for that. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand, folks.